Record Collections and Recollections. Out of the Box with Mia Hull on FBI Radio. Hey, Mia Hull with you on FBI Radio 94.5, streaming online or on the podcast. This is Out of the Box. It's the place where each Thursday from 12 to 1, I sit down with one person to walk through the story of their life and stop to listen to some of the songs that soundtrack the big moments. Today, my guest and I are sitting in the FBI Radio studio in so-called Redfern, which means we're recording on unceded land belonging to the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I want to take this moment to pay my respects to Gadigal elders past, present and emerging and extend that respect to any First Nations person listening right now. Aboriginal people have been coming together to share stories and songs on this land since the beginning of time. This always was and always will be Aboriginal land. My guest today is Vaishnavi Surya Prakash. She is an actor and dramaturg who you might know from plays like White Pearl, Canning and Cracking or Blue Christmas. Vaishnavi is also an incredible storyteller and today on the show we're going to look at not only her story but the way that she nurtures the stories of others. I'm so excited to pull back the curtain and look at this type of storytelling all the way up until one o'clock today and also look at the songs that Vaishnavi brought to the show. Thank you so much for joining me. Oh, it's my pleasure, Mia. Thanks for having me. (laughs) I do want to say too, um, there's a film set at the station at the moment and things are looking really chaotic and Vaishnavi has really taken this in her stride. (laughs) You're so peaceful and serene. It's making me feel calm. Oh, good. (laughs) Breathe. Relax. Your life starts off in Mumbai. Do you have any memories from being there? Not um, not super clearly, but every time I went back home um, since moving from Australia, I feel like I come home, like I arrive. As soon as I come out of the airport, you know, you, you get hit by the, the smells and the heat and then, of course, you have to see family. Mm. And so... That still feels like very much part of my DNA, but no clear memories from before I moved. So when you did move, you came straight to Australia. Where did your family settle when you got here? We moved to Ashfield Mm. and um, we lived in a really small flat, my parents, my old sister and I. And a mum used to joke that uh, she was a good, we were a good luck charm for the apartments mm. that we stayed in because uh, each apartment that we stayed in eventually got sold very quickly after we moved in. Um, so we moved around a lot. Still in Asheville though, because I think my parents had some work friends who had moved to Australia previously and lived in Asheville. Yeah, but then when my sister, younger sister, was born, we needed a bit more space, mm. and so we moved out to the southwest, uh, where my parents are still today, and where I grew up, I guess, in Australia mostly. Mm. It's funny you say good luck charm. It's like good luck for your landlords, but maybe not such good luck for you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and you said you moved over with your family, and that included your sister. Was mm-hmm. she the same age as you? My older sister is a few years older than me, mm. and I've got a younger sister who is, uh, again, a few years younger than me. <laughs> yeah, and, and born here, you must all have such different experiences of childhood. But yeah, let's go to yeah. southwest Sydney. What was that like? Do you remember that at all? Oh, yeah. I love where my parents brought us up. We just have this kind of natural reserve area, kind of bushland behind our house. 
I think it was just starting to be kind of built up at the time we moved there. So there weren't that many houses and all that kind of things. So as children, it was the best kind of playground. (laughs) Maybe not the most safest because we used to go into construction sites and, you know, down (laughs) ponds and stuff. But so much fun. And everyone on our street, we lived on a cul-de-sac, also had young children. So we all used to come out and play every afternoon after school, like no matter the age and, you know, get into trouble, have little arguments, go back inside, come back out, <laughs> <laughs> that kind of thing. So, um, yeah, I remember it really, really fondly. It's so funny you say that. And I mean, anyone who's listened to this show before might have heard me point this out. But I think every guest I've had who grew up in that area tells that story of being, you know, outside with other kids all the time or Mm. on a cul-de-sac or playing on the street. And I don't know what's going on in Southwest Sydney, but it's like (laughs) everyone's just outside playing with each other. Yeah. It was such a a nice vibe. Like I don't – I feel so lucky to have had that as Mm. a child. And when you're growing up, you just think, oh, this is is normal. You go outside and play. And then when it becomes dark, you come back inside and – choreograph dance routines with your sister to Bollywood you know Mm. I was like this is what everyone does and choreographing those dances with your sister was that perhaps the first time you got a taste for performing or felt like you liked the spotlight uh maybe yeah I did enjoy it so my mum we would have a tape recorder and we weren't allowed to play the tapes without mum being there but of course you know whenever before she'd come home we'd kind of like put the tape in and start our little routine and as soon as we could hear her coming down the the steps outside we would quickly take it out and you know put everything back as (laughs) if we hadn't been using it so um yeah I don't know it was a lot of a lot of fun. Did you you know see any performances or theatre that you know maybe gave you a taste of what your future might look like? I don't think I went to the theatre until I was in high school with school. I think it was a school excursion in late high school. But in southwest Sydney and especially in my um, suburb, we had a really close um, South Asian community. And so we would get together for festivals and celebrate and have these shows, I guess, that we would put on in the community hall and then it would kind of grow bigger into like we'd go into a bigger space. Um, and yeah, my sisters and I, we would dance or do little skits. And I think one time I hosted as well and I felt really, you know, la-di-da, <laughs> look at me. Um, so yeah, I, I was always kind of immersed in that kind of performance practice without realising that it was performance. It was very much tied to my cultural identity and community and... Um, I want to jump to uh, year five or six, Vaishnavi. You're asked to, you know, draw your future in an exercise book or map out what it might look like. <laughs> yes. Do you remember what you drew? Yeah, we we had to, um, We I think we got this image of a person, an outline, and we had to colour it in or dress it up as <laughs> who we wanted to be when we grew up in terms of a profession. And, of course, being me... I divided it down the middle, this um, gingerbread figure, and half of the figure was a lawyer because I wanted to be a lawyer. And the other half was an actor because I wanted to be an actor. (laughs) Um, And I had this moment recently where I (laughs) realised that 
wow, I've actually done both. So mm-hmm. good on you six, me for manifesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All the way up until one o'clock today, I mean, we'll talk about that split of you as a lawyer and as an actor and, you know, the songs that have soundtracked some of those moments for you. Mm. Let's jump into the first one now. What have you picked? I've picked Jadu Teri Nazar, yes. It's a an old Bollywood song um, and that is the sound of my childhood uh, because mum used to play, you know, Indian radio uh, when we were growing up and would have all these tape uh, cassettes as well that she would play when cooking or whatever and I apparently used to you know, join along <laughs> and love them. And um, yeah, this particular song is one of my favorites. I think there's a recording that mum has of me singing this song when I was like five or something and not really getting the words right. So yeah, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> So you just listened to Jadu Teri Nazar, sung by Lata Mangeshkar and Udit Narayan. And the person announcing that song was my guest on Out of the Box today, Vaishnavi Surya Prakash, who is an actor and dramaturg and joins me to talk about her life and her career and, you know, the songs that soundtrack the big moments. That was one of Mm. them. And Vaishnavi, before we played that song, we talked about a moment where, you know, you drew what your life might look like and it was a split between law and acting and those things kind of happened one before the other. So, Mm. I mean, I want to go to a boat right now. It's just out (laughs) on the sea. (laughs) How did you know? (laughs) And you're just looking at the sky and, you know, thinking about what the future might hold for you. Did you Mm. come to any conclusions in that moment? Yes. Well, (laughs) I, so I'd kind of let let go of performing um, during the second half of high school and into uni as well. Um, But in a very cliched way, uh, something was missing. (laughs) And... (laughs) Uh, so I was on this boat, this three-day cruise that my mum had organised as a family present. And it was night time. And I went to the top of the boat. You know the bit where Jack and Rose are like, oh, I'm flying. Yeah. The tip of the boat. Um, and it was night time. And I was the only one there. And there were no clouds in the sky. And the stars were just so clear and were reflected in the water as well. So it felt like we were sailing through space. It you can't see where the, where the horizon was. Yeah, yeah, it was unreal. And I just felt this amazing feeling of, you know, joy and peace. And um, in a moment of clarity, as I lay back on a bench and looked up at the sky as I was sitting on the deck, I thought, you know what, I think I think I need to perform again. I think I need to indulge and nurture that creative side of me. Why in that moment did you feel like you had lost that or that it wasn't a part of your life anymore? Was it just something that you'd stopped doing after high school? Yeah, I, th- I think so. I didn't study drama um, for HSE because, um, well... I was brown, (laughs) I had brown parents, and 
once I got into uni, uh, you know, things things just kind of get away from you. And I was like, well, never seriously entertained being a performer professionally either. Mm. What were you doing at uni? I was studying arts law. Very different kind of performing. Mm. And was <laughs> yeah. that just a natural progression for you to finish high school, not having studied drama and then move into arts law? Or was that a big choice to make? Well, I didn't know what I wanted to do. Mm. Um, and my older sister was studying law at the time as well. And I thought I probably will be pretty good at this. And um, the social justice interests in me were you know compelled by doing that as well um but I didn't want to let go of creativeness totally so I think arts for me was one of the best things that I've ever done doing that arts degree Mm. but at the same time I found out that the way that I can kind of give back best to the world is not through studying law and kind of going down that avenue which Mm. I tried and have done but it's actually through being an artist and being a performer and the ways in which I hold space and tell stories and kind of change cultural norms on a small scale up to a large scale. I guess you're, the way that I was receiving messages from school and society um, in terms of you know being a useful member of community was to go down certain avenues and so I you know I did work for um I worked on a report for the UN that went into Sri Lankan war crimes prosecution for example I did um some work with the US Congress for a while like it was a very internationally kind of focused career that I wanted to go down to help people Mm. (laughs) um but doing all these different kinds of things I realized that the toll that it took on me was probably not the... It just meant that it wasn't the best way for me to give. And so in my creative practice, yes, being up on stage and having that kind of visual marker for other people to be like, oh, yeah, I can I can do that if I want. And there is space for me in this industry if I want to do that. That's definitely um, something I'm conscious of and value. But it's also... Um, on a kind of grassroots level, for example, going into schools and helping teachers become more familiar with um, drama techniques in order to build literacy and um, drama skills and all that kind of thing for their students. So they're actually exposed to it at a really early age and they have that in their consciousness, which is something that I've been doing with Sydney Theatre Company as part of their teaching artist program. Mm. So that kind of thing for me as well is really important. And was that something that you got to have in primary school at all or do you think you're providing it because it's something that you maybe missed? I didn't really have that um, at school, but I did have a teacher who put on a school play when I was in year three and when Mm -hmm. I was in year five. And that those two moments were probably when I was like, wow, I love this. Mm -hmm. This is really cool. And it was just something different that we had to audition for (laughs) Um, but it was so fun so I think like without having those experiences I probably would never have even gone down this path yeah so I mean when we combine those things you being on the very tip of a ship looking out over a horizonless starry night (laughs) and thinking about the future and then also that you know desire to nurture other emerging people wanting to work in performance 
I mean, you've got you've got those things bubbling away and it takes you to NIDA. What made you want to even sign up for NIDA when you were so close to finishing your law degree? Yeah, true. Have you been speaking to my parents? <laughs> <laughs> um, so after my boat, tip of the boat moment, um, I think I tried to audition for some plays at uni. Didn't get anywhere. Was like, okay, maybe this was a stupid idea. But then at the end of that year, I did a like a clerkship, an internship at a law firm, and I earned a bunch of money. And then I thought, okay, well, now I can use this money to do this short course at NIDA, actually, that went for a year. So I auditioned for that, and I got in and was there for four terms, just one Saturday a week. And it was amazing. I was like, oh, yeah, this is this is it. This is what I've been missing. I love this. And it was just continual creativity every week. And I was so um, satisfied. And uh, quite a few of my friends in that group were planning on auditioning for the full-time course. So I thought, oh, yeah, maybe I can have a go. Um, I know it takes a few goes to get in so I can get like a rundown of how it works. And, you know, of course, as these things go, you get what you want when you least expect it. So... um, I auditioned and they offered me a place and so I delayed making a decision for a week because I hadn't told anyone and then they called me again and they said we kind of need to know otherwise we need to offer you a place to someone else. I was like okay fine I'll take it Mm. yes and I just dealt with the fallout afterwards. (laughs) What was the fallout? I think it was quite difficult for my family to understand the change in direction Um, which I totally see and I mean the arts is such a nebulous thing and you know having your child say oh I want to be an actor in this industry especially at the time that didn't really reflect stories that were ours specifically or people that kind of looked like us on screen I think for them it was quite hard to figure out what kind of working life I would have even Mm. I think you so rarely come to parts in your life where you have to face those crosswords, especially when crossroads, (laughs) especially when you're that young, you know, you kind of like go to primary school, go to high school, go to uni, get a job, and you never have to really make those big, big decisions. And especially ones that have such big implications for, you know, you and your family. And it must have been so tough making a choice like that so young, especially when you're right around the corner from finishing your law degree. Yeah, I I do have this thing, like sometimes I just have this utter conviction that what I'm doing is the right way forward, even if I can't ex- explain it. Mm. And this was one of those moments. Um, and so really the credit should go to my parents because they uh, like embraced ultimately what was something that they had no idea about and was a complete shift from... I guess the life that they thought they would be allowing their children to have moving to Australia. But your sister was doing law, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah, yeah, she one was. Of them, one of them did law. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But the job security of like, yeah, I'm the, you know, the middle, the troublesome middle child. <laughs> You're like, oh, she's always going to be at home. And look, I am at home right now, so... <laughs> but they love it, everyone. They love it. So but that's worry. for a different reason, which we'll talk about later in the show. But um, first, yeah, I want to talk about, you know, how that choice was a success and, you know, the great things that have come from choosing the arts and choosing storytelling as a career. Before we get into that, we have a song to play by Shnavi. It's called Swagatam Krishna. Yeah, so for context, uh, during uni and the end of 
school, because I wasn't performing kind of in an acting context, I found myself performing more as a dancer. So I kind of went more into um, that kind of art form. The kind of dance I do is Bharatnatyam, which is classical Indian dance. And in 2012, I did a solo recital show and this song was one of my favourite songs to dance to. Incredible. You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. I'm Mia Hull. I am chosen. Um, I'm joined you by... chosen. I am chosen. And I'm also joined by actor and dramaturg Vaishnavi Surya Prakash, who chose this song. It's Swagatam Krishna. Swagatam Krishna. Swagatam Krishna. Krishna. Swagatam Krishna, Saranagatam Krishna, Ika Swagatam Krishna, Saranagatam Krishna, Swagatam Krishna, Saranagatam Krishna. It was Swagatam Krishna, and you heard it here on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. This is the show where I, Mia Hull, sit down with one person each week to talk through the stories and songs that have defined their life. And that person is Vaishnavi Surya Prakash, the chooser of that song. And before we played it, we talked about that choice to pursue performance and acting in a meaningful way. And you said, you know, great things came from it. So let's talk about those great things, because you as an actor have kind of moved more into stage work than Mm -hmm. screen how did you arrive there um it was kind of just by chance um one of my final year shows at NIDA um a director came in to see the show and then talked to me after the show and asked if I wanted to be in his uh, in the one of the shows he was directing for the following year and I said yes um, and just turned out that the director was Eamon Flack, who is the artistic director of Belvoir. And um, things kind of just rolled on from there. So I found myself doing um, a lot of theatre. One thing kind of led to another, which I love. I love the kind of electricness and the aliveness and the immediacy of it. And you're kind of, you're making energy with the people sitting in front of you on the day as you are on the day as well so um yeah it's been really rewarding but that's not to say that I don't want to move into some screen work as well because I I've done a little bits and pieces over the last couple of years it's it's like kind of a different skill set and a different technique set and that's so exciting to me to be like wow there's so much to learn here and the precision required here is so delicious so um yeah hoping that a few more opportunities pop up on the horizon yeah I mean it's so incredible I don't think I've had an actor on the show before but to think about those two things and what each of them offer and yeah I'd not really considered the way that you know screen media functions in the same way that radio does where you kind of don't get to see your audience in any way or know Mm. what they look like or how they feel about what you're delivering and that must be so different being on stage performing to crowds yeah totally screen feels you're still working with other Mm. actors in the space so it still feels very alive but it kind of feels focused in a way because on stage everything usually is kind of in a wide shot whereas on screen you might do a wide shot but then you might go in closer and closer so 
you have to adjust to that, your performance levels to that as well. Even just moving your eyes from looking at the other person's to down without changing anything else in your face reads it tells a story mm. on screen whereas if I did that on stage you wouldn't read that much into it unless you know I added a moment around that a silence or a gesture or a sigh or something mm. your world is so interesting to me <laughs> oh. <laughs> um and I mean I want to talk about the performances you've done mm-hmm. um you know, in in your life as an actor. Can you maybe walk me through some of the highlights or some of the big moments that you're perhaps the most proud of? Oh, yes. So one of my favourite shows to work on was in my third year at NIDA um, on a show called Love and Money. And Judy Davis came in to direct us. And she is, I think she's a brilliant actor and an amazing director. And she treated us all like we were professionals and I think that was the first time in our you know three years of training that we were like oh yeah we we don't have to ask for permission all the time to be ourselves Mm. (laughs) or something it was so it was really um, confidence boosting for me and then once I got out into the industry um, I've been so fortunate to be involved in only work that I deeply care about and that's kind of a philosophy that guides my projects as well. I was also part of Counting and Cracking, which was a Sydney Festival Belvoir co-production, which had 16 actors, I think, and three live musicians, and went for three and a half hours with two intervals, and told the story of a family going through the Sri Lankan civil war in the 80s and then coming to Australia so it moved back and forward in time and that's probably been one of my proudest achievements um, stepping into that role it was really demanding and technically as well as you know emotionally and stamina wise but the response that we got from the community afterwards was like I'm getting shivers thinking about it now because it's exactly what I would want work that I'm involved with to do. And I didn't think I'd get that chance so early in my career like mm. to make such meaningful work. What a privilege. I remember, so there was this one time we were performing in the town hall. I came out afterwards and there was this girl who, would, who was waiting for me with her parents and she was um, of Sri Lankan Tamil background. And she, normally I don't really like talking to people afterwards because I'm still, my head's kind of like in the show and like, who am I? And I just need, but she was like, I I really just wanted to talk to you and say, my parents have not talked to me about the civil war and why they leave, why they left Sri Lanka all those years ago. We've never talked about it in our entire lives and we know not to bring it up. But since like, I've forced them to come to this show and in this like, you know 20 minutes that we've just finished and been waiting for you they finally started talking to me about it like it was just unbelievable and we've had that kind of response from so many community members because there's so much hurt and pain around those circumstances Mm -hmm. and the healing that this show enabled was just out of this world so um I feel really humbled to have been a part of that yeah it's really special. I feel emotional hearing you tell that story. <laughs> yeah, me too. It was it was I was like, yes. <laughs> I've I've done 
something worthwhile on this earth. <laughs> <laughs> Let's pivot. You act and tell stories that way, but you also kind of shape stories as a dramaturg, which until meeting you, I had never heard of or <laughs> known much about. And the way I kind of understand it is you're a person that is in the writing room, kind of facilitating storytelling and helping things move along. But yeah. I would love it if you could tell it to me in your words, because I think I'm getting it wrong. No, that's pretty um, accurate. It feels like a very um, magical, dark art thing Mm. and I still don't quite know how to describe it and I think every dramaturg approaches it a bit differently as well but for me it's about helping a writer or a performance maker create the best version of their piece as possible and sometimes that'll involve you know script editing sometimes that'll involve conversations around Structuring, what's the, you know, how can we tell this story in the most interesting way? Um, it'll involve discussions about character and the journeys of the character. So I basically act as an outside eye that helps the writer in, inside there or the creator inside their bubble. Mm. And I, I realized that I fell into the role kind of without knowing what it was either. And I think I just used to do it instinctively as an actor and now I'm like, then someone was like, oh, you know, this is a job. (laughs) Mm. And I thought, wow, that's so great. Like you can, the best part of it is you get to meet so many new writers and creators and you get to read so much new, amazing work and see how people's brains think and like what they're obsessed with, you know, just really niche things. So it's such a, you know, such a privilege to be in that kind of birthing state with um, creators. Does that make it any clearer? I don't know. I think calling it a birthing state (laughs) makes it really clear to me. Yeah. I really love that. Yeah. Um, What's the next song you'd like to play on Out of the Box today? Oh, you know what? I'll be be a bit cheesy and I'll pick an Ed Sheeran song. Yes. Because Ed Sheeran's ex Multiply album changed my life for a very short amount of time. I was obsessed. I was like, <laughs> this storytelling in these songs is just unbelievable. So I will pick I'm a Mess by Ed Sheeran. Though I've only caused you pain, you know, but all of my words were always below. Of all, all the love you spoke when you're on my road, walking me home, 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 home. See the flame. It was Ed Sheeran on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. The person laughing is the person who <laughs> chose that song, Vaishnavi, who I think chose it because it's a song we wouldn't normally play on this station. It was called <laughs> I'm a Mess. And before we played it, we talked about your career triumphs. And I want to talk about, you know, a triumph, maybe not so much in your career, but just in the way that you live your life, because you recently decided to take a gap year as an adult. And when we talked about this on the phone the other day, Vaishnavi, I was so interested in something you said about taking a break from achieving. And, you know, I just wanted to know how you arrived at a point in your life where you now feel like you need to take a break. Can you kind of walk Mm. me through where that started to unfold for you? Yeah, I think over the last few years, um, and I don't know if being in lockdowns and, you know, COVID and all of that 
affected where I got to. Um, it probably did, but I felt really ready to rediscover my essence again. And I know how woo that sounds, but it felt like I was trying to be the best version of a lot of roles to a lot of people and a lot of bodies, things. And even though that may not have been true, maybe that was all self-imposed. Um, and I thought, you know, I kind of need some clarity uh, because I remember a time when I had that clarity and I don't really like how it's been feeling for a while. So when Counting and Cracking was asked to be uh, part of the Edinburgh International Festival and when I discovered that I was approaching the age limit for the youth mobility visa to the UK, I decided to stay on after the, the Counting and Cracking tour in the UK. So that was really scary for me. I remember talking to one of my best friends and she said, look, what you need to do is just start talking about it. Just like gently talk to people, say, yep, I'm going to move here for a bit. Just do it. Like, and I thought this is insane. Like I got how, but I want to, but how, um, and people's uh, reactions that I thought wouldn't really gel in the end. It was one of those moments, Mia, where I was like, I have utter conviction that this is what I meant to do, even though I was really scared. But because I had that conviction, everything kind of worked out. So everything fell into place so easily. So yeah, I have actually just returned from about seven and a half, eight months in the UK and Europe. And I'll be going back in a couple of months again to kind of finish off whatever this this journey is mm -hmm. but it has been so worthwhile and so rewarding and just fantastic to absorb the art and culture from other places that aren't that aren't here mm. just to expand my mind and kind of push the edges of my identity as well I feel quite different coming back in the most brilliant of ways yeah and I mean you've got your whole life to work yeah. seven months is not that much time really? to yeah. to explore yourself in that way and I don't know from the outside looking in I feel like actors have to give so much of themselves to your work mm. and I guess understanding yourself in a more intimate way would kind of be more beneficial for you in the long run yeah totally and there's a kind of uncertainty that comes with getting jobs as well as an actor. You know, you audition and you never quite have a set timeline of the year or even next week. So um, I've always found that a little bit exhausting. So just to kind of put that on hold. And I think this is when I said to you, I was just removing the pressure to achieve mm. um, was really liberating for me. And that's not to say that I haven't done work whilst I was in London, which I have, but it's just kind of fallen into my lap mm. <laughs> and it's been really easy. And I've just been really inspired by being in different places and seeing different things and meeting um, like the most amazing, <laughs> cool people. And I feel like you're more open to that kind of those encounters as well when you just think okay, I'm going to like get rid of this backpack that says like has all my baggage and like who I am and what people think I am and all of that kind of thing. And I'm just going to be whatever. And yeah, 
it's I would highly recommend it. <laughs> and if anyone's scared, I would say this is your sign to do it. Yeah. <laughs> You're making me want to move right now. <laughs> do it, like, on, and you can the thing is you can come back anytime. Yeah. Like I've come back, you know, and what you've what you've kind of built here in Australia is always going to be there for you as well. So you, it's not like you're losing anything. You're just growing. Yeah, and you can put your furniture in storage and come back for that yes. as well. Yes, <laughs> furniture is in storage, and that's why I'm back at my mum and dad's. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think that's amazing. I mean, it kind of this is the second time in this interview that you've taken a big leap like that and had the conviction to do it, which I actually think is really rare mm. to to trust yourself in such a solid way and I'm so impressed by you and you know the way that you take those leaves Um, and I hope that if you're listening to this and you don't have that kind of conviction that this has been a sign for you yes (laughs) do it do it (laughs) quit life for a little while get to know yourself um, while you're you know contemplating the country that you will be moving to or the kind of break you're going to take we'll jump into a song on FBR Radio (laughs) 94.5 it's by Sam Smith (laughs) Why'd you pick this one, Vaishnavi? <laughs> well, so one on one of my travel adventures when I was in the in London, uh, I made a couple of friends there that are just amazing, and we all just decided to go to Amsterdam impromptu, and we stayed in the same room. And I realised that me and Mel, one of the other girls, we both I don't know if I should admit this. <laughs> on air but here we go we both realize we don't really like having showers um bathing in general for me is like look if i if you put me in a you know in the bush with a camp uh with a tent like i would be a happy girl would never bathe myself like going to streams sure but anyway so and then i found a kindred spirit in mel and so um we and it was really cold so we were like we don't have to have showers and our third friend siobhan was like please don't come near me. (laughs) But the reason why I chose this song is because there's a lyric where he says, um, dirty, dirty boy or something. (laughs) And we, uh, we appropriated that and we made it dirty, dirty girl. So that became a theme song of Amsterdam. (laughs) Um, yes. So please enjoy. You're listening to Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. This is Unholy by Sam Smith, chosen by Dirty Dirty Girl <laughs> by Shnavi Surya Prakash. Dirty Dirty Boy, you know everyone is talking on the scene. I hear them whispering about the places that you've been and how you don't know how to keep your business clean. It was Sam Smith on FBI Radio 94.5. The song was called Unholy. You're listening to Out of the Box. I'm Mia Hull. I'm joined by actor and dramaturg Vaishnavi Surya Prakash. And, you know, we've talked about your life leading up to this moment where you're kind of still on your gap here, living back home with mum and dad before heading back to the (laughs) UK. But we're going to... We're going to backtrack about 11 years. I want to go back to 2002. It's the year that Bend It Like Beckham came out. Oh, yeah. You know, throughout this interview, Vaishnavi, there's been a couple of times where you mentioned, um, you know, like when you wanted to become an actor, that your parents perhaps were feeling apprehensive towards it because they didn't see your culture reflected in acting. And, you know, you talked about 
growing up and engaging in performance and like that was a really direct link to culture and heritage in that way mm. with those things in mind what did it mean for you to see Bend It Like Beckham on screen for the first time yeah it was quite a moment because it was the first time that I'd seen outside of Bollywood a family and a community that was pretty much identical to the one that I had <laughs> growing up to the point where like, there are people, you know, there are extras in the movie that I'm like, oh, that's that auntie and that's that aunt. mm. And my sisters and I, we all watched it together. We're like, oh, yeah, and that one's that one. So it was really exciting and really visible-ing, what's whatever word that is. And it was kind of sad to see that it wasn't kind of, it wasn't followed up afterwards for a very long time telling stories um, from the global majority or diaspora like that. So um, I feel like now we're in a better place to see that kind of thing happen. I think in Australia, it's still a bit slow, especially compared to the UK, where I, I just kind of felt overjoyed, overwhelmed over everything with just how normal it was for the stories, people, all of this kind of culture to just be visible um, in so many different ways. So, um, yeah, looking forward to kind of helping push along that change here as well. How do you how do you go about pushing along that change? How does that happen? It's a good question. <laughs> For me, I, I really like to work on a grassroots level. Uh, I feel more comfortable doing that and it feels like something that's more lasting to me. So I want to work with younger people. I want to work with, you know, emerging storytellers and creators, give them space or time or even my expertise in whatever way to help give them the confidence to create or allow their project to be taken to the next level. It's also about having conversations with, um, you know, theatre companies and arts bodies to highlight that change has arrived but change also needs to be amped up um, and I think people are seeing that but also some people in higher positions of power and people with more money can still sometimes see this kind of thing as risk-taking so breaking down that kind of think way of thinking is important because global majority stories are literally global majority mm. stories I and mean, when you look up at the makeup of Australia it, you know, you. I think you'd find more engagement with certain communities when you just kind of, quote unquote, take the risk, take yeah. the leap, you know. It's wild to me that it's risky to do that. Yeah. Like my my family, for example, will watch anything if it has a brown person in there, like a South Asian person, mm. just because. So like regardless of how good or bad it is, right? So mm. that kind of, like if you harness that kind of engagement, like... You will, yeah, I just think the possibilities are endless. With yeah. that in mind, what does the future hold for you? Well, <laughs> I wonder. <laughs> it's So I'm still my gap year, Mia. <laughs> um, I will be flying back to the UK in a couple of months. Um, I've started out some really interesting conversations with a few theatre companies there who are committed to telling um, really gorgeous um, and inclusive stories. Um, so I'm trying to uh, kind of hijack their programs and get a bit more experience in in nurturing those. 
I'm also doing some research on how to engage young people from global majority backgrounds to engage with theatre in Australia by doing research in London um, to see how they've done that really well in some areas Mm. um, and bringing that back here um, as part of a fellowship that I got at the end of last year. Congratulations. Oh, thank you. That's such an impressive thing to take on. It's I just like it's really exciting. And yeah. you meet people and they're just so passionate about what they do as well. And they they see the change as well mm. in um, communities of young people. And it's like, oh, yeah, the stories are fantastic. But, you know, if work comes up in the middle, um, then I may may or may not work as well. So I'm kind of just like the world is my oyster. I'll be here for Scenes of a Climate Era, which is on at Belvoir in, I think it's in May. <laughs> um, it is the 27th of May to the 23rd of June. I'll put the details to that one. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think it's a really interesting show formally. Um and it's got some really intriguing ideas that David Finnegan, the writer, has brought to life mm. from a lot of real-world climate-influenced actions. So, um, yeah, it'll, that'll be a fun one. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think I can't. I can't think. That's such anymore, a busy but... gap year. I mean, even <laughs> like when you're taking a break to be, you know, studying and working as a dramaturg and thinking meaningfully about, you know, all of these shows. And I guess like what you said, you know, taking a break from that need to achieve, but then still being able to work. Um, yeah. Is it's, really it's cool. It's mostly the pressure that's taken off mm. and then you find that everything else is just a bit more easy. Yeah. Um, and as opportunities come and go, then, you know, you take what you want and, um, yeah, see what happens. Well, I'm so excited to see what you create when you come back refreshed and, you know, with this beautiful strong understanding of who you are as an actor and as a person and I'm so Mm. excited for what the future holds for you um I guess I'll put some links to your socials on the program's page on fbiradio.com so yeah we can keep a track of your journey and you know watch out for the next thing you've got on what song would you like to finish the show with I would like to finish the show with a song called I Can Go The Distance by Hercules um, actually, not by Hercules. Whoever <laughs> sang for Hercules in the Disney movie. I love this song. I have loved this song ever since I watched Hercules <laughs> <laughs> as a child and I recently rewatched it. And my younger sister teases me that it's the song that I think about when I'm like, you know, about to go smash it in a show or, you know, get a new job or something. And so now I, I, and it's not, but now I can't help but think about it. <laughs> I can imagine you driving on the way to the theatre, like listening to yeah. this. Exactly. <laughs> Just like belting it out. Oh, such an uplifting song. Amazing. Well, we'll jump into it now. Um, I just wanted to say thank you so much for joining me today. It's been so nice, you know, learning about your world. Oh, it's been so much fun. So thank you for having me. (laughs) That's okay. (laughs) Chosen by my guest on Out of the Box today, actor, dramaturg and gap year haver, Vaishnavi Surya Prakash. This song is a cut from the Hercules film soundtrack. It's called I Can Go the Distance, and you're hearing it on Out of the Box on FBI Radio 94.5. If you did want to listen back to this episode, you can do that on the programs page on fbiradio.com, where I'll have a full track list of the songs that Vaishnavi brought to the show, plus links to the things we've spoken about including her socials and including um, some of the dates for that 
show she was talking about scenes from the climate era happening at the Beauvoir Theatre. You can also listen back by the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I want to give a big shout out to Tanya Ali for producing this episode and do stick around. Lunch is right around the corner. FBI. Most 